Today's episode is brought to you by Just Like Mother by Anne Heltzel, published by Nightfire. Maeve and her cousin Andrea were raised in a cult as children, but managed to escape, barely. Twenty years later, Andrea suddenly reappears in Maeve's life, and the two women begin spending more time together at Andrea's remote Catskills estate. Once there, Maeve has a front-row seat to the successful fertility startup where Andrea works with baby-obsessed colleagues. But the more Maeve is immersed in this world, the more she feels disconnected to her life back in the city. She will need to confront the terror of her childhood in order to transcend the nightmare still to come. Just Like Mother is perfect for fans of domestic thrillers and feminist body horror readers alike. On sale now wherever books are sold. Which 1980s bad boy made a daring escape from prison and later had his freedom negotiated by a former Beatle? Why did the father of a Hollywood A-lister confess to the assassination of JFK? And how did a serial killer manage to find his own 15 minutes of fame on national television? while in the middle of a killing spree. Hear the wild but true stories behind these questions as the fame, fortune, and felonies of Tinseltown come alive in Badlands Season 4, Hollywoodland. In the newest season of Badlands, host Jake Brennan takes you to a place where designer fashion fades and Oscar buzz dies down, but insane stories never go out of style. Like the story of Sharon Tate, who was caught up in a freaky scene long before members of the Manson family came along. The story of Judy Garland's lifelong addiction to pills sending her over the rainbow much too soon. And the story about how Winona Ryder was connected to a child kidnapping case in her hometown. This season of Badlands features all of these crazy but true tales, plus the almost too crazy to be true stories of Sean Penn, Woody Harrelson, Lindsay Lohan, Mickey Rourke, Robin Williams, and Rodney Alcala, aka the dating game killer. Listen to Badlands Season 4, all about the crimes and careers of Hollywood's finest and infamous on Amazon Music or wherever you get your podcasts. New episodes are released every Wednesday, or you can binge the entire season right now only on Amazon Music. Welcome back to Badlands, where bad can always get worse. Hello and welcome to Deep Cuts. I'm your co-host Rebecca McKendry, and with me is Elric Kane. Um, Rondo nominated Elric Kane. You guys should totally go to RondoAwards.com and vote for Colors of the Dark for Best Podcast. Um, that would just be unless awesome. it's not, then you should vote for whatever you want. But if it is, it's the true. best to you. Then you should. Plus, that's, I have that's a a, this is why we will be runner up <laughs> because of our weak sales pitch. <laughs> I know we're not selling this much, but no. I do also have a book that I uh, wrote nominated creepy bitches um, by myself and Elise Wax and a handful of other amazing female writers. So yeah, head to Ron. I'd rather see you win for that. I'd rather see you win finally for something written. You're really not talking. selling this. Elric. Well, here's the thing. Uh, as I stroke this beautiful bald head in front of me from 2015, Seven years ago, I oh had this gosh, little award. Oh my gosh, has it been seven? Yeah, it's, I guess we won for Killer POV. We were nominated for every single year and we came runner-up almost every time. Mm-hmm. Um, I think, yeah, I think we've been runner-up almost every single time, which is pretty amazing. That's okay. That's still, re- no, still really cool. But it's just funny to me. But I've got one. Always so a bridesmaid, baby. Hey, but you know, yeah, Hey, still wearing it's a dress. Good. That's Yeah, keeping our options open and still hey. wearing the, we're still invited to the party. The point we're is we're still on air. The point is, yeah. and, and it, let me just say, if there was an award for best Patreon with deep cuts and weird child talk and favorite movie theater and what snack you're eating, <laughs> we would be 
Rondo heavy. So. We, I feel like we'd still be runner up, but that's we, okay. we we would be. You know what I realized about Damn you, um, Joe Lynch and Adam Green <laughs> that yeah, beat us on that. Their Patreon is probably way better, yeah. but it's okay. It's okay. You're here with us, and we love you for that. Um, so on my cell phone, somehow it downloaded all of my Patreon shows onto my cell phone, and I haven't figured out how to delete them yet. So now when I'm listening to music in my car, like every other song, I hear myself saying, oh, hello, God. and welcome to Deep Cuts. And yeah. I see it in the same goddamn way every time. So I need to remember to open one like, hello. I thought it was a pre-recorded thing. I didn't even know you were talking each time. I thought you pushed a little button. A little monkey came out and said it for you. I thought, damn. All right. It's been pretty surreal because it's very much like, okay, listening to music and next song. Hello. And oh God, go to the next one. Hello. And welcome. It's just me saying hello to myself all the time. The only way to survive podcasting for a decade is to not want to listen to your voice. Like that is the number one key is don't listen to them as often as you can. Sometimes you have to listen to a bit, but in general, don't do it. Um, Well, guess what? I saw some weird shit. I saw some weird shit, too. I also saw some shit I loved. Um, So, yeah, let's jump in with your weird shit. All right. Uh, Three titles for you. Uh, First title, three of this on the same movie. Wait, do these have a link? Or is it like uh, this week I watched Well, last time I did. No, that was amazing. And I still commend my, if I should have gone the Ronda for that episode, actually, that was like my best work. And just to be frank, it's all downhill from there, guys. That was it. That was my one thematic Patreon. You'll never get another one. No, there's no link except, um, no, none. Um, this one has three titles. No, the actual first film has three titles. Title number one, absurd, where it, which is great because a woman walks into a room and she just goes absurd. And we just were like riotous in that moment. Uh, AKA monster hunter, which is just totally the wrong. But most importantly, it's an unofficial title. Anthropopagus 2. Oh my um, gosh, you finally watched it. Yes, is it brilliance? Been... Is it everything that I need in my world? No, no it's Joe D'Amato. <laughs> so, you just asked if it's brilliance. Can it, how can it be brilliance? Uncomfortable Joe sex and even more uncomfortable horror. Uh, I would say the most uncomfortable thing about this movie is the pacing. Uh, I watched it with my friend Dick, and he <laughs> thought it was the slowest film he had ever seen. I, I've seen uh, Chantal Ackerman films, so I can trump him, but but that's fine. Like he, he really was like he couldn't believe how slow it was, and it was pretty slow for the kind of movie it was. But um, so this Joe D'Amato eighty one. It's an unofficial. I think people like kind of just call it Anthropopagus too, but it really it's funny because it's okay. So it's in America, so Anthropopagus is in Greece, and it's basically copying halloween it's like a psycho is coming across town for some reason he's fixated on going to this house where there's instead of a jamie lee curtis imagine if jamie lee curtis babysitter had some sort of neck injury was tied to a bed with all these like elaborate straps and, and How is for this some, boring so far uh, I'm i know like, this it's is brilliant awesome. i think it's kind of awesome except for some the pacing is ridiculous anyway so he's going across and it's george eastman who is the giant guy from Anthropopagus. So the, the monster from Anthropopagus, he was in a lot of 70s Westerns and mm-hmm. um, Jallos and stuff. He also wrote this movie, which I thought was interesting. Um, and so it's mostly just him walking across town, messing with people who get in his way, trying to get to this uh, house that has a kid, this girl strapped to a bed, and somebody else is there while their parents are out. And in the morning, he gets there. I know. They're downstairs. Well, he, so he climbs a fence. Oh, I forgot. He's running away from a priest doctor. There's a priest doctor guy who's hunting him. And what's hilarious is about his this, name like Moomless? It's just Donald Pleasance, let's say. Uh, <laughs> it's basically, but no, but this guy's chasing him and he chases him over the fence of this house at the very start. He climbs over one of those one of those fences that look like, oh, Jesus, you can impale yourself on that. And of course, the guy impales his stomach. So by the time he knocks on the door, 
just like Anthropopagus, his guts are hanging out. But then he heals. He, they take him to the hospital and he heals up. And it turns out that this guy, the bad guy, has a this weird regenerative ability because he escapes a medical lab. But here's the interesting part. Like, there's no reason to connect this to anything. This is set in America. It just so happens that the regenerative lab that he's escaped from is in Greece. <laughs> so the only oh! connection the, to Anthropopagus is the idea that they're both coming from Greece. And I'm like, why did they even write that in? I don't get it. So he, is he not the original OG Anthropopagus? Well, he, he doesn't like look like living it. in Greece. I mean, he's the same they... actor. He's the same actor and he's, the, and he's huge like him, but he doesn't have the crazy head thing. So my, 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 they never talk about it. Right. But he's from Greece. So my, if it's a regenerative thing, maybe he's healed from the big ogre looking guy in his head and all that. You, and now he's know, normal looking. Healthcare can do a lot to a person. Especially Albert. European. European has good health care. This is yes, you're right. Anyway, I don't so I'm trying to make the tenuous links to this being a sequel, but um either way, this was one of the video nasties that was banned. It was part of as well as Anthropopagus. Um and it's kind of fun. Like it's it, it's got a few moments that like of gore that are really good, but by the time he gets into the house at the end, this girl who who looks like she's immobile the whole movie and she's got all these neck braces and she all these things all over, suddenly she starts like whipping them all off to go kick some ass. And you're like watching this movie going, what the hell was wrong with her in the first place? But I will say, so this is all that matters. And I, I did tell you this in passing, but uh, oh yeah, his blood coagulates faster than normal people. That's how his regenerative thing works. I'm like, okay. That's exciting. That does not put your intestines back in your body, yeah. by the way. It well, does I mean, not- as far as you know. It does not work like blood coagulation just, you know, makes a scab. It does not put your body parts back well, in we'll, your body. We'll test that out. But anyway, so he's so he gets to the house. Okay, the the last, it's one of those movies where it's like, all right, two stars, two stars, the whole movie, maybe two and a half stars. Like, I think, I think he, Dick went even lower. And the last, like, 20 seconds of this movie, it might be one of my favorite horror images in horror. Like, it'd be up there, it'd be like a top 30 final moments for a movie that certainly is kind of clunking along most of the time. So it's almost worth watching just for like, so you can get to that last moment and go, oh, okay. It's just a great image. It's a great horror moment. Um, and it's pretty bad. I won't ruin it for people. Does he eat his own intestines? It's not as cool as that. That was the ultimate. I love it. Okay. He does that. In I was like, videos. is he like eating his own lung or something? He, he, like it's, how do it's you not, up the ante? It's, it's, uh, it's more like what happens to him. Also. Okay. But, but in the first one, yes, he eats a baby. He a fetus. He eats his guts. He eats a woman's head. I mean, he's just, is the first hour and 20 minutes worth that last 20 minutes? I mean, yeah, on two times speed. It's great. You could just totally get it. No, I mean, look, I kind of liked it more than he did, I think. Uh, but, the, you know, the first Anthropopagus is pretty slow, but then it has these moments where you're like, ooh, like cool shit yeah. happens. So I think it's pretty similar. I think this one might be more fun around Halloween just because it is literally tracing the Halloween structure in a lot of ways. Uh, the people chasing him, the cops and the, this, this doctor are pretty ridiculous. Like it's pretty, that's where the movie is clunky and slows down a bit. But it's the kind of movie when we say slow paced, I mean, like if he walks, if, if a girl runs down the hallway, we'll see her walk, run all parts of the hallway. Then we'll see him follow on all parts of the hallway. Not just, it's not, it's got no elliptical storytelling. You know, it's like, it's going to show you every little beat, which is probably the problem. You could probably recut it and make it 88 minutes perfection, you know? But um, all movies are perfect at 88 minutes. So. 
I short agree. ass movies. Short ass movies. It's that true. made me laugh so much when he's like, and then he, the guy who comes with the double tape. <laughs> it's just like the I double, remember the double tape. If you guys have tape. not seen the SNL, SNL sketch from last weekend, um, which was short ass movies, and one of the best like, I've ever seen. It was Pete Davidson um, doing a song about his favorite movies on Netflix or the short ass movies. Yeah. Um, and talking about how nobody can watch like three hour movies. And it yeah. was like, I tweeted at Elric today. Like, I'm fairly sure that, you know, yeah. they wrote that song for us. Pete Davis because was listening. There's so many nights. Like I have my, my watch list on Amazon and there are so many nights when I will go through it and I'm like two hours and 20 minutes. Nope. Not going to make it. Nope. Not going to make it. Yeah. 88. We are in yeah. motherfuckers. And they even sings and, all the all the titles that are like a ninety minute movies, like a razor head, and it's just like you know, Evil Dead, like, Evil yeah. Dead. But no, I thought that was it's really brilliant. funny, actually. Yeah. Um, Good so stuff. I'm gonna start with. Um, I mean, I didn't even pay attention to how long this one was, but it was too long. However long uh-huh. this was, was too long. Okay. Um, and this is my 1980s movie. God, I wanted to love this, and this is uh-huh. 1987's Retribution. Um, oh, which wait, I believe- does it have a wolf mask? No. Is the person wearing a wolf and shooting No, oh. no. This is, this is, um, I swear you've seen this. I, I know, I, I know, swear. I know the cover that you're talking about. Yeah, I, I swear you have seen this before. Okay. So Severin did a three disc set of this. Holy and shit. And so seeing three discs in this massive box set, I have to assume this is some type of cinematic canon brilliance that I have missed. Why else would they get three discs out of this? And I watched it. Um, and I have to say, it had cool moments. It was not the 80s missing gem I had been hoping for. You know what? Um, I don't think I did in the end because this is in my watch list. So I, okay. I don't think I ever did see this. I know the cover. I've no, always known the cover, though. Yeah. So, yeah. So the best part of it is Dennis Lipscomb is the lead who most people know from Eyes of Fire. Um, well, not oh, most cool. people. Elric yeah. and I know from Eyes of Fire. Um, to hey, and Sam else, Zimmerman. <laughs> yeah, and Sam Zimmerman would recognize him yeah. for that. But he had a pretty big career. He did a bunch of other horror stuff. He was, you know, star before this, star after this. And he is definitely one of the high points of this movie because I like his acting and he gives a And good most of the Steven Seagal heads who listen to our show know him from Under Siege. <laughs> I'm yeah. just looking it Because <laughs> everyone who listens Get to out. actually. The Seagal heads. I, the Seagal heads. I love Seagal. So I love early Seagal. I'm a big true. early oh Seagal God, guy. Yeah. But not recent Russia, <laughs> like, weird, because I don't know what's going on now. I don't even know what he's doing anymore, but early, like, 90s Seagal. I Mark was for totally death? In. Oh, yeah. I'm in. Yeah. yeah. Um, so the whole setup of this is it's this, like, super depressed painter who's, like, really good, but um, he lives in this crummy apartment building, which, honestly, they they keep trying to make it look terrible, like it's, you know, vagrants and prostitutes and homeless people live there, which technically they're not homeless, but let's just say, like, they're definitely, like, begging for change on street corners. Uh-huh. Um, and they paint his apartment building is really bad, but yet everybody is like a family there. Like I was admittedly like, these people are wonderful. What is your deal, dude? Um, but he gets really depressed one night, And he throws himself off the building on Halloween, nonetheless. Now, at the exact same time, he is dying by throwing himself off the building. Across town, this gangster is getting (laughs) killed for gambling debts. And somehow, squibbly bobbly boo, their souls cross and he is saved 
but he comes back possessed with the soul of the murdered gangster who is now trying to get revenge on all of the other gangsters who killed him. You with me? It feels like JD's revenge or something like that. It's got of, yeah. notes of JD. It's not as yeah. amusing as JD's revenge. Yeah, that's JD's revenge is a very watchable yeah, movie. Yeah, it's a cool movie. Um, this, this is, this, this has some pacing issues. Hmm. Um, Wait, why so, three discs? I'm totally floored that. I need to look and see what's on the other ones. Mm -hmm. I was just like, man, this is a massive box set. And Mm. yeah. So he starts killing gangsters. And when he gets possessed, his eyes turn green. And then he can do like crazy supernatural shit as well. He falls in love with this prostitute who lives in his building, who is like the sweetest person in the world. The woman, his landlady is lovely. Like they're just all lovely people. Um, I don't know what his deal is. Who cares if it's a little downtrodden? Um, but yeah, this was one that I vaguely remembered the VHS cover. Like it's, you know, him standing there glowing red with green eyes. And I had vague yeah. memories of the VHS cover. Um, but yeah, this one, I- I've read reviews where a lot of people was like, oh my God, I remember this from my childhood and it's so great to watch it again. Maybe it's best to watch in kind of a reminiscent. Um, it works best as nostalgia. I'll say that. I shall like, create I'm a sure time machine to watch it when I'm young so I can come back yeah. and appreciate it now. Okay. Had I probably watched this at like age, you know, whatever I would yeah. have been when it came out in the late 80s, like 10 or so, not even. Um, we'll say that we'll say that I found it in high school in like the uh-huh. late 90s on VHS and then watched it. Um, I probably would be watching it more fondly than I am now instead of watching it with a very hardened adult lens of what, um, what kind yeah. of gangster what is it a mafia type gangster like yeah an they're kind of okay. they're mob but low mob. level okay yeah, yeah it's low level mob um I believe it is supposed to be set in Los Angeles uh it definitely hmm. feels Los Angeles I can't remember off the top of my head but yeah um it's it's very much a city oh I remember looking this up because I thought it was Canada um and then I looked it up and it was um a neighborhood of Los Angeles yeah it was down <laughs> in Long Beach I remember I went through this whole google thing while i was watching this because i was like this looks like vancouver nope it's long beach long beach Um, is what i think of when i think of ghetto but yeah (laughs) whatever it's not again like it's you know they definitely are painting it to look like you know this downtrodden building like he's got this crappy life but that said he's a really damn good artist so i'm kind of like well why can't you sell your paintings man those are amazing um and then at the same time the paintings get dark after he gets possessed by the gangster they get like super dark oh a little Um, bit of body parts and candy man new candy man in there not <laughs> right. enough okay. not enough <laughs> so, well i might watch this one anyway i will say yeah for 1980s if you were just looking for like a 1980s um and it does feel very 80s in that capacity with the gangsters and everything else going on retribution 1987 okay. there is an absolutely beautiful severin disc just begging to be watched nice um so when we did our 60s episode a couple few days ago whatever it was um there was one that i'd always meant to see and it was on a lot of the lists you know for one of the best um 60s films and so i finally got to see it yesterday and it's it was really cool and i think you would like this one if you haven't seen it because it was as close as i've seen to the feeling of kind of the quatermass vibe but from japan and that is goke body snatcher from hell I've um, never seen Goke Body Snatcher from yeah. Hell, but that's an amazing title. And and I know I know at some point Criterion put a bunch of these out on like a as a box or something. There was like four Japanese horror films that were put together, and this is one of them. So I had it on TCM from you know 
a couple of years ago, it's just been sitting in my DVR. So this is 68. So it opens on in a plane and you get introduced to all these different characters who are flying. One is like the president of a company, you know, very, very typical, like nine, late 60s Japanese characters of the time. Uh, you have the pilot, the stewardess, the guy who's ki- kissing up to the boss and even letting him have his wife and stuff like like Just interesting bag. And then there's this really weird looking guy who's wearing like a white suit. And on the front page of the newspaper, it says there, uh, some political person was assassinated, um, shot with a rifle the day before. They're flying along, and then suddenly the pilots notice this. I mean, it's in that beautiful, the way Godzilla movies look sometimes, where the colors mm-hmm. are artificial, and the whole sky is suddenly blood red. And they're flying towards her and they're like, what the hell's going on in the sky? It's awesome. Like that image is just beautiful. And then uh, birds start smashing into the windows. And before then they they get word that there might be somebody planning a suicide bomb on the plane. They try to find it. And for some reason or another, the plane ends up crashing. Suddenly, uh, all the people you've kind of met are obviously the survivors. And And it becomes like for a while, it becomes almost like a home invasion, but on the crashed planes everyone's like locking themselves in to keep someone out but what happens is you suddenly find out that it was actually a ufo thing and this weird silver stuff that looks almost like a helen lauder thing mm-hmm. splits a guy's head open and crawls Ooh. into his head so it's all the characters when they're possessed or whatever it is they have like a slit down the front of their forehead and this stuff slowly seeps in and it's the alien the alien will then talk through them and the alien says uh all human life will be eradicated we are telling you now not a single one of you will be left. And and then that person tries to basically become like weird vampire guy and attacking all the people. And it becomes mostly, it's just, you know, some of it's kind of clunky and other parts are really cool. Like a lot of cool visuals, a lot of couple trippy moments. Um, but it definitely had a Quatermass vibe where it's like part horror, horror part sci-fi, part like invasion. It felt, it felt literally ripped from the same, um, especially Quatermass in the pit, same kind of world and aesthetically. Um, and then, and then it just keeps getting kind of bigger and bigger where you realize, yes, this is going to be a mass invasion kind of thing. And it's what happens if the thing leaves your body is you get eradicated and turned to dust. And it was very clearly making very close allusions to Hiroshima and, you know, what a body Ooh. looks like when it is decimated by the bomb. So so probably that's what it's ultimately about, but it never is wagging its finger too much. It was really good. And when I started looking it up after it finished, it looked like a lot of people have been influenced by this film. I feel like it has an influence kind of like um, Bava's Plan of the Vampires has a big influence on people. And, and yeah, I think you would dig this. Like like I said, it's not perfect um, and, you know, of the time period with some of the, some of, a couple of the performers, I feel like a little big, but the, the feeling of it is really, really cool. And so this is definitely goes in that rotation of those kind of movies. Um, so that is Goke Body Snatcher from Hell. It should be Body Snatcher from Space because Hell never really plays a part in it. It's very much a, they've come from the sky. So space I, yeah. is hell. I, I mean, there's a reason that they're coming to Earth. So, yeah, yeah, there must be. Yeah, I don't know what that is, but I, I do love when it's in the human being. I think you would dig this one. Um, and it's just, just weird that I hadn't seen slits. it. You had me at slits in their faces, yeah. Oh, yeah, and I, I just stuff. looked, and that's really cool looking. Mm-hmm. So, yeah. Well, no, I'm going to follow it up with one of mine. I wasn't going to spend a lot of time on this title, uh-huh. um, but because it's also from Japan, yeah, I feel cool. like I should go ahead and follow up with it. Um, but first, I have to premise how I've been watching it because I've watched a lot this way. Um, so Night Flight, which is just a ridiculously awesome app anyway um, that you should all be watching, like a lot of Arrows, Severin, just really some amazing stuff goes there. They have um, a channel like you can go to their app and you can hit live TV and they have something uh, playing around the clock. It's very much like Turner Underground. Yeah, and Shutter um, does Turner- too. Shutter, if you all, not on your app tv but if you're on your computer mm-hmm. there's a live thing sometimes yeah 
Yeah, and they'll have things playing um, with Night Flight. They have things playing around the clock and it's real fucking random. But honestly, it's my favorite thing. If I'm in there like, you know, doing dishes or, you know, I've only got like an hour or even if I'm like on the treadmill, I'll just be like, I wonder what's playing. And so I found that like I'm picking up halfway through movies and then I'm like, what did I just watch? And so a couple of nights ago, I had just gotten home from class and it was like super late. And I was like, I don't have time for anything. And I clicked on that. And all of a sudden these weird faces started appearing and they were all, it was very abstract. I could tell it was some type of like Japanese new wave. And I was like, I'm in. And I ended up, I was 10 minutes into funeral parade of roses. And I ended up watching the entire movie because I was so mesmerized by it. Um, So this is 1969 Japanese drama art film experimentally trippy kind of godard it's even turns into a documentary at some moments um just really amazingly made and really just out there like i've never seen anything like it before um the setup is that well it, it was um apparently heavily influenced well yeah of course once i get to the plot by gay culture in tokyo in the 1960s yeah. but it's basically an adaptation of oedipus rex And after the next day I had seen this, I went um, to USC. I always, with my grad classes, I always make, everybody has to do a book report once a week, not a book report, but they have to come in and talk about what they've been watching. And um, that's how I opened class. And I started talking about this movie. And one of my students who is trans told me that this movie has been kind of embraced by a trans community. So um, it's- Yeah, I got a Blu-ray. I I think our friend Elijah Drenner, somebody somebody I knew worked on it because I remember- I got sent a copy, maybe it was like two years ago. And it was like, Mm -hmm. I'd seen a crappy, crappy version when I was younger. And it's kind of amazing. So it probably is growing a fan base now. Yeah, it is um, about a trans person in Tokyo um, who who kind of goes around with friends. There's drug use, there's clubbing, there's a lot about the trans community. Um, Falls in love, uh, ends up working as kind of an escort falls in love with one of their clients and yeah, it, but it just, it kind of follows them. There's a lot of acid in it as well. And a lot of it is like a mood piece. And then there are these weird segments that function more like a documentary on the Tokyo underground of the time period. Um, so yeah, just really wild. It, it, it turned me on to this director who I've seen none of his stuff. Um, Toshio Matsumoto, um, he apparently did a lot of experimental short films and then has another feature called Demons from 1971. So this is my shout out to our listeners. I can't find this and I have been, it's not on Amazon. I tried, you know, all of my normal routes. Um, so I am looking. So if anybody has a way to watch Demons from 1971, um, I would love to check this film out. I've got to check some of my my normal um potentially illegal, I don't know, questionable sites. But um, yeah, there it could not find a copy because I always, my rule of thumb is if there's a DVD copy available or if it is streaming somewhere, I will always pay for it before yeah, I turn to too. those. I only go to those if there is no other means to watch it. If I can't pay somebody for it, I'll do that. Um, but I, yeah, I, I, I'm happy to go to the dark web when there's no other way to go. I don't even think it's, that's not the dark web. Oh, it is. The, I have to go to, no, I have to go to the darkest web. They call it the dark I, web. I, I don't think you do. I don't it's a think website you called darkweb.com. Trust me, go to the dark web and you'll find a copy of this film. That's how I, I find everything. Went, I figured you just went to DVD lady. That's like all I do. That is dark web. Don't you know she has another site? Dark web, DVD lady after dark. 
I don't actually know how you get to the dark, real dark web, but I assume that I what I'm no doing clue, is the dark web. But I assume that you don't have to go there to find Japanese art horror. No. I assume it's it's far seedier than that. Becca assume nothing. Um, so, but that it's not a horror film by any stretch. But if you're into kind of your weird, experimental, um, trippy 1960s art films, this was definitely a really fascinating and enjoyable watch. Um, I might be funeral, wrong. About- Sorry, oh. just, before you say it, I might be wrong about this, but I have a feeling that I heard about it originally because maybe it was a visual influence on um, Clockwork Orange. It was. So that's all when I started researching yeah. Kubrick always said that this was one of his biggest kind of aesthetical influences yeah. for Clockwork Orange. And you can see it like there's scenes where they jump around where he does these crazy cuts. Um, there are scenes where the camera moves very much like Clockwork Orange. Yeah, like that was has that memory. feel to it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I'm glad you discovered it that way. That's a cool way to stumble. Upon it was movie. literally just me laying in bed going, oh, my God, I'm too tired to engage in anything. Click. And then just yeah. being like, what is this? And then immediately. And it's what good film does where I went from like, I'm barely going to watch 10 minutes of anything to yeah. I'm all in. I might as well go make popcorn because I'm watching this thing to the end. So, yeah, cool. Yeah, all right. really cool. Um, all right. Okay. Uh, my last one is one that I had actually seen about 20, 20 odd years ago. And in it, it hasn't been the easiest find. I remember getting a bootleg from one of those stores when we would go to conventions. And um, but it's really interesting because a lot of people don't like this online. And it's for the wrong reason, I'll tell you. So this is called Dario Argento's World of Horror. And it's actually mm-hmm. directed by Michelle Sovi. And it came out in 85. And I remember seeing it not long after I would have seen Creeper. Well, it would have been Creepers, the version I, I saw when I was young, I think, um, before Phenomena. But um, this goes up to him Wait, being on, on the isn't phenomena. Creepers Phenomena? Yeah, but it got released as different. Like, it's a different cut. And it's oh, a, like in okay. America, it was a Creepers and it mm-hmm. was edited like the VHS I would have seen was Creepers, not Phenomena. When I was, um, so anyway, uh, this I remember seeing this, and I remember it turned me on to Argento because I'd seen Suspiria, but it was the thing that really got me into it. And I wanted to watch it again because I couldn't remember what it was. And so, if you're after, and this was what I noticed on people's letterbox review, if you want a thematic like discussion of Dario's work, you need to check out um, Maitland McDonough, her book, Broken Mirror, Broken Mind, which I, I got like 15 years ago. And it's just the best of book on any filmmaker. I think it's so good. Oh, um, Derek's really good one on Argento as well. Um, yeah. There's a couple other good ones that yeah. are good about the visuals, but Maitland's is the best about like themes. Anyway, mm-hmm. so people seem to be pussy. Like this is a shallow documentary. It's not about things. No, it's not. But man, this is stuff I like. I'm so glad I watched it right now as we're both kind of moving towards making something. This is a entire documentary where and stuff I've never seen. Like I've seen this film before, but didn't remember it. Uh, It's all behind the scenes of how he did. So it goes, it'll be like the crazy tenebrae shot that tracks thing. It'll just show you the mechanical crane. And he just talks about how they did that shot. Then it cuts to uh, Suspiria with the DP talking about the exact way they created the tricolor approach to the cinematography it's like a technical it's almost like a technical documentary on some of the great moments like how did they do all the insects in phenomena and he's literally showing you how they got one one million flies in a room at the end scene they put rotting meat in a room for three weeks and then they brought the actor and they and all the larvae hatched and the maggots and then they put sticky stuff on the on the guy the villain and all the flies and all the maggots just flooded onto him and stuff i mean it's so cool because it's really a very practical and then it, it basically it's interchapters where it will show just it'll be like 
you know, they'll be like, okay, so when the blind guy's walking through the square in Suspiria, we wanted it to feel like the camera could attack. So we put a giant piece of uh, metal cord from this church to this, and we made it swoop down so it wouldn't fall on the ground. And it just shows them attaching it and doing it. It's And it's so dry, but it's freaking awesome if you're like excited about filmmaking, because suddenly you're yeah. like some of the most amazing shots ever put on screen. Argento, I mean, especially that Tenebrae shot is like one of the craziest things I've ever seen. The crane just keeps going and going. And so it's like a handful of these sequences and then it's punctuated by, because, you know, Michelle Soavi, who's directing, was obviously his assistant for a long time. And then it'll be just Dario looking right at camera going, you know, that's where I put a quote from today. He goes, you know, I make movies to be loved. And like, he'll just do weird little tidbits about his and, and not trying to make himself even look good like in one part he's about to make phenomena he's like i am not convinced that i have all the things i would need to make this movie i i think we have all these effect shots and he's about to it was day one he's like yes i don't know if this will go well like and i was like oh okay i just thought it's only 50 minutes or 60 minutes and it was like really cool to to see like because if i'd seen this as a kid i wouldn't have probably latched onto the technical mm -hmm. stuff. I'd just be like, they're playing with a crane. But watching it now is like, oh, this is such a neat thing to see. And then it goes into Demons a little bit and Dawn of the Dead because he's a producer on both. And so it like breaks down a few of the sequences there. So yeah, I think if it, it could, the only thing I would tell people and very much so with this particular one is uh, there are there's a lot of spoilers. So if you haven't seen all of his work from that period, I wouldn't, like you'll see, it'll just show you the end of Deep Red. And it'll show you mm -hmm. how they did that scene, or it'll just show you a key, a, the kind of key ending or death scene. So if you're, if you're not as familiar with his work, probably just stick with the films first. But man, it, I watched this was like my afternoon thing that where I wanted to watch one more thing for the show, and I was like, well, this is short enough, and I haven't seen it in a long time, and it got me really excited. It got me just going, oh, not that I have the toys that Dario <laughs> plays with, but it was like, so oh. when you're swooping <laughs> your camera, yes. Alric, yes, yeah, your handheld camera. Uh, but no, but it was it, it does make you realize. It also was a good reminder that there was a point in time where he, you know, now a hard director like him would just not have all these tools, right? Especially mm -hmm. even he wouldn't have these tools with his new movie. But there was a point where he was treated like a real artist. He was he was treated like Brian De Palma was in that mm -hmm. same time period, which meant he could make the films as big as he wanted, you know, his wow. imagination. So, yeah, this is a really cool thing. I would recommend it for people interested in the filmmaking side um, of Dario. And I just thought it was cool there's a, i'm trying to think if there's another it was mostly the tenebrae one that really got me excited but it goes into most of did the they do the period. underwater scene in tenebrae they don't show you how they did inferno wait inf inferno has the it's main inferno one. yeah but there was another one oh they show you how they did the phenomena uh underwater scene she's underwater and that and the guy comes for her at the end of the movie mm -hmm. so so it, it 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 showed a clip from inferno but it didn't tell you yeah, that would have been cool too, because that's such a complex sequence. But yeah, it's, yeah. it's almost like you wish it was twice as long and did all of every single film. But it is, yeah, no, this is like, to me, I, I'm sure it probably, my guess is I have this on a, like I said, spoo, like, I think if it's not on YouTube, my guess is it's probably on one of the recent Blu-rays. Mm -hmm. You know, they probably just have put it on, I don't know if it'd be on Suspiria, but maybe Phenomena. I would bet that would make sense because that's, have a look if somebody owns the Phenomena disc that came out recently, the um, hour one. Um, but really cool. Got me definitely kind of jazzed. So uh, Dario Argento's World of Horror. So last night um, I was I got home and I was like, I just want to watch something fun. Um, and I decided that I wanted to watch one of the Amityvilles about the missing objects. Um, and this is after they did Amityvilles one through four, I guess. Uh -huh. 
they they then said, okay, well, we well, let's not set anything else in the actual house. Instead, um, we're going to assume that they had some type of like crazy Amityville yard sale, and that <laughs> yeah, all right. of these easy these evil objects have now left the property and are somehow making their way to different parts of the globe, and they're all possessed with the same evil as Amityville. And so, I have recently watched and loved. The Haunted Lamp, um, and it's all about time, which the haunted is the haunted it's clock. About time, Becca. It's, it's about time. It's about time, and it's yeah. about light. We kept saying, like, yeah. it's about light. I like that um, one a lot. That was a lot of fun. The lamp one and the clock one were a lot of fun. So I had seen the dollhouse one previously. And so um, this one's a bit confusing because it's not just like a lamp or a clock that has made their way from the Amityville house. It is an exact replica dollhouse that has made its way from the Amityville house, Um, which is confusing because I don't. It's okay. We're going to let it go. We're going to let it go. So some dollhouse replica of the Amityville house has made its way across country. And I had seen this in high school, possibly while high. Um, and had a memory of thinking it was brilliant. Like this came out in 1996. So I probably saw it like 97, 98 on, I remember being at like on VHS, like a rental. Um, and so I remember thinking it was just absolutely amazing. Just honestly, like the best of the Amityvilles. And I have not seen it since then. So I had this preserved memory of how brilliant it was. So I was excited to revisit it. Um, and so thus I began Amityville Dollhouse. This film is still so fucking fun. Don't think too hard about it. Like most of the Amityville movies, like just turn that like, but wait a sec, part of your brain off and just go with it. Do we know which um, number this would have been if it was an order? I think it's eight. Okay. Well, I'm fairly sure it's eight. Um, I was trying to figure it out last night, but remember like the Amityville series in general is kind of all over the place. Yeah, it because- got split up. Yeah, anybody can make one, and sometimes they were doing like two a year, but I, as best I can tell, this would have been eight, I think. And that might be wrong, so I apologize if there's any Amityville purists out there that are immediately like, mm, it's seven. Um, but the setup of this one is this family who has moved into a house in, honestly, I think it's Santa Clarita. Um, like I think you got it, it right. I just counted by year all the other films, and I think it's eight. I th- yeah, I, I see this- seven others up to 1990, and then there's a 96. Yeah, 96. I yeah, I did this eight. while watching the movie last <laughs> night. Um, like, I must know what number this is. Um, so yeah, number eight, I think. Um, but it is a family. It is like a Brady Bunch family where it's a dad with two kids and a mom with a kid of her own have gotten married, and they have moved into this brand new house that dad has built himself. In they don't say, but it's like fucking santa clarita it just uh-huh. looks like it and um they get there and but you find out very quickly that dad to save money he built this house where a prior house had burnt to the ground and the only thing that was left after the pri- prior house burnt to the ground was the original chimney and the shed in the backyard that had all of their stuff in it hmm. and so he left both because he's like why not it's got memories of the old house so he builds his new house and one day his it's his daughter's birthday party and he gets her a bike, but the bike gets completely destroyed last minute. And they're like, shit, the party's about to begin. What do we have? I don't know. I found this creepy dollhouse in the old shed. I guess it belonged to the prior family, but it's a cool dollhouse, right? It's an exact replica 
of the Amityville house. And there's an implication that something terrible happened to the prior family that owned this. And they gift this dollhouse to the little girl and she immediately starts talking to it. Like she can hear the dollhouse talking to her and it's telling her to do bad things. And then all of a sudden, every single member of the family starts experiencing crazy stuff. Hmm. Um, The mom starts experiencing incest because what's an Amityville movie without incest where suddenly she is fantasizing about her teen stepson. Um, The dad starts having all of these crazy dreams about the house burning down and everybody dying. And the little girl is having like all of these weird visions and talking to her dollhouse. The son starts seeing his dead dad and his dead dad is showing up telling him to kill the rest of the family. So Mm. everybody's having like weird stuff. And then um, weird things start actually happening. It's not just seeing things like um, there's a scene where uh, the teen brother tries to pick on the younger brother with a rubber spider and it turns real. And then there's a scene where he gets attacked by wasps. And so everybody's suddenly like, there's something wrong with this house, but they've sunk all their money into it. So we have to stay through the really weird shit. And then it just keeps going and going. But it's a good thing that their aunt and uncle happen to be witches. So they're immediately able to say, hey, your house is full of demons and um, we got to do something about all the demons in your house. Definitely Santa Clarita then. Yeah, it's totally Santa Clarita. If there's witches, definitely Santa Clarita. Santa Clarita. Um, So this one was really fun. I can best describe it as a combination of poltergeist and house. Yeah. um, Where it really is very much like the house is slowly becoming possessed with all this crazy stuff. So you're seeing weird things in every room. But at the same time, because it's mostly embodied in the kids, it does have this poltergeist vibe, even to the point at one point where it's like the, the kid, they're crossing over to the other side and the light, the light, like it's, it's oh, even weird. like yeah. pulling gimmicks from poltergeist at some point. Um, this is also one of the main movies of Lisa Robin Kelly, who went on to be the sexy older sister in that 70s show before she tragically died of a drug overdose. Mm-hmm. Um, but she's in this as sexy girlfriend who gets killed by house, not killed. I think she's in a coma. Um, but yeah, so oops, that was a, that was a little, not even that big of a spoiler. Um, <laughs> the house is going to fuck people up guys. We know that I anybody okay. who goes in the house is going to get fucked up. There yeah. we go. Um, Not even that big of a spoiler. So yeah, Um, this one was so much fun. I think I no. this was free on Amazon Prime if you're willing to watch ads because um, it's on IMDb TV. And if you're willing to watch an ad like every 30 minutes or so, it is free. And so I did not pay for this and it is well worth watching the ads. I had a blast with this one. Yeah, that one I cannot remember. Dollhouse. 1960 it's, or 1996 it's the kind of one that i probably watched back when it came out but it doesn't mm-hmm. it's like it doesn't stick in my brain the way like i knew i'd seen the lamp one before but yeah anyway they're, they're funny like that i always think what's the isn't there one that with time travel well it's about time oh yeah it's, so that's okay, it's yeah, all so. time travel-y yeah. um yeah that one I, I was gotta, good i gotta dip my toe back in i think there's one called evil awakes or something i don't know yes that's, there is i think that's four yeah it's a hard you know it's yeah. a whole other conversation for another day is us trying to unpack it all is. the Amityville films. All, well, and maybe watch all the Amityville films. Yeah. We did a trivia question a couple of years ago, which was like, how many are there now? And it was way too many to fathom. Yeah. Because, yeah, yeah anybody can make things. an Amityville. Yeah, mm-hmm. And now they're doing the Amityville in space thing. That's kind of fun. Um, 
Did you see that poster? I it's did. A, yeah. Oh my god! Yes. My idea would be to rip off Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, the movie, and just be Once Upon a Time in Amityville, and just have to say, make it all cool in seventies, but have Amityville House at the center. So uh, the mansions <laughs> are coming into the Amityville House, and that's my story. All right. So if you want to fund this yes. movie, you can call us, email us. We'll, we'll make. You can it call happen. the asylum and skip <laughs> calling us at all. <laughs> we'll see you later. <laughs> So anyway, yeah, that's all mine. Else, my, those okay. are my three. Then I got two more quick ones. I will okay. start with the. Um, so I was going through Prime on Sunday afternoon um, because I had just gotten my fourth COVID shot, my booster, uh-huh. um, the day beforehand, and I was all types of feverish. I've always had like really strong reactions to these, where like I'll have a fever for the next day and basically feel like really hungover. Um, so I was laying on the couch not feeling so hot um, the next day. And I was going through prime and all of a sudden this film called house of nine pops up. And I was like, Oh, is this one of those movies that I like? Because I love those movies where it is a group of people shoved in a room and no one knows why they're there, but we're going to kill one of you every hour till you figure it out. Yeah. And then I look and yes, it is one of those movies where nine people are drugged, kidnapped and placed into a house and they, um, the incentive in this one is that the last one standing gets five million, mm. and so it's just this incentive from the get go that they're going to be in there until they all kill each other, and there's only one left. And there is no, as best I can tell, I kept waiting for it. I kept waiting for like the moment where it's like, hey, I went to Camp Yagasaka, and then suddenly they're all like, oh my god, I did too, I did too. It never came. Mm. Um, they're just all there to kill each other. So this one, and they're all different walks of life like you do, where it's got the priest, the cop, the drug addict, the movie star, the suspected criminal, the wealthy guy. Like, it's all different walks of life shoved in the house trying to kill each other. Wait, Dennis Um, Hopper's the priest? So that's what I was getting to. Oh, my God. Sorry. um, This is, it's a British film. So the majority of the characters are either British or Irish. Dennis Hopper, I wrote down, kind of Irish because he's using an Irish accent, but only about 15% of the time. Um, and so it really comes and goes for um, Dennis in this movie. His performance is okay. Just huh. the Irish accent. You know, he hits it about every fifth line or so. It'll come out a little bit. Um, but yeah, so I watched this whole thing and I went, oh, yeah, that wasn't that wasn't amazing. And then I go to log it on um, Letterboxd and I literally watched it three years ago and had huh. no idea I watched oh, it and had no memory of it. Um, so apparently I can describe it as forgettable, but if you are into those movies, um, where they do lock people in a room and they have to try to figure out why they're there, this is not that movie. But if you want to see nine people locked into a house, trying to decide who's going to kill each other first, that was it. It had some amusing parts. I'm guessing in four years, I'm going to be on a podcast and be like, I watched this new movie called house of nine. I've never seen before movie amnesia. Sounds like Um, double feature with Lords of the deep would be in order another highly forgettable piece of I, I think I've watched Lords of the Deep a couple of times yeah. saying, I don't think I've ever, wait, you had me at Killer Stingray. And uh-huh. then a couple of moments in, I'm like, nope, nope. No, I think yeah. I've seen this before. Okay, so on to the movie that was super fun. I can't say good. I will say silly and super fun. So um, this is another afternoon watch where I am working and Steven Scarlatta, who we have had on the show, filmmaker, we love him, um, host of, um, oh gosh. uh, Best Movies Never Made. Best Movie Never Made. 
Um, so I'm working and all of a sudden I get a message from him and it's like, okay, you need to go watch this movie called Snakes from 2018. It's currently streaming for free on Tubi. It is a Chinese film and you need to watch the scene 15 minutes in because you're going to love it. And so I'm like, okay, if Steven Scarlatta says I'm going to love something, I'm probably going to fucking love that thing because he knows my tastes. So I immediately stop what I'm doing and go to Tubi and put on the free streaming copy of Snakes from 2018 Chinese film. And he was damn right. I loved the scene 15 minutes in. and um, But I ended up watching the whole movie, which again, silly, questionably good. I had fun with it. So the setup is, um, well, it starts with a cold open uh, that takes place during, I think it's the 1940s, where it's um, a military group finds this massive snake in the jungle. And then that's literally it. They find this massive snake. Then we fast forward to 2018. And this group of um, Chinese, I guess I'll call them hunters, are then in this jungle looking for this magical fruit. And one of them believes that this magical fruit is going to cure his daughter who is dying. And so they are in the jungle looking for this magical fruit that is only available on this one plant that blooms like every couple of, you know, millions of years. And it's only in this one little tiny region. And they have to go there to get this fruit. You know, I found the cure of the 20th century. You know where this is going. Sure. And uh, then they get there and it's full of giant snakes. Wow. And um, yeah. So but, so it's basically like Medicine Man meets Anaconda. Um, but somehow with really bad CG. Oh. Like I can't, I can't be okay. apologetic of this CG. It, I mean like Anaconda. Um, is better than this CG wise, but it's somehow fun. <laughs> I will say the scene um, in particular that Steven Scarlatta was damn right with the fact that I would love is where um, hordes of piranha that can also fly attack the boat. So they are literally flying piranha that attack the boat and all of the hunters, researchers, scientists, doctors who are on the boat trying to get upriver to go find this magical fruit. Um, it, it was amazing. And then half the crew dies, then they end up on the land, but then they decide to continue on their quest to get this life-saving fruit. And then the giant snakes come. Um, some of the humor is very sophomoric, like people getting bit in the butts and bit in the crotch and, you know, grimacing to the camera and things like that. Um, but I will say for just something to have on kind of while I'm working simultaneously, this was kind of fun. So I figured I would put it here instead of on the main show. Free on Tubi. So if you are into your sci-fi-esque giant monster movies um, with just crazy shit happening and people being killed by, you know, massive, massive snakes, they almost look like dragons, to be honest. Like they have a kind of cool look in this movie. Snakes or snake, singular, 2018 currently on Tubi. You kind of sold me or confused me or something <laughs> alienated me deeply. Um, okay. Well, that All is the above. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'll quickly run down titles for those who uh, always complain about our penmanship here. Um, I, I saw a film called Absurd from 81. I saw Goke Body Snatcher from Hell from 1968. And I saw Dario Argento's World of Horror from 85. 
I saw Retribution from 1987. I saw Funeral Parade of Roses from 1969. Amityville Dollhouse 1996. House of Nine 2005. You can probably sit that one out. And then Snake from 2018. It turns out the House of Nine guy, uh, he produced Devil's Advocate. So for people, a good double feature, you know, you could go watch Devil's Advocate afterwards or something. Or at least I did I not know did. that. Or, oh, actually, maybe that was the Amityville guy. When I was looking it up, that was the Amityville Dollhouse, sorry. Steve White, yeah. Yes. Yeah, <laughs> Amityville Dollhouse. That's much more in line. Excellent. Well, thank you guys so much for tuning in here. Um, Elric and I, as you may have been, we've been alluding to on the main show, um, we are both making films this spring. Um, And so we will be leaving uh, the regular show, Colors of the Dark. We will be pausing that soon so that I can head off to Winnipeg and Elric can go to... um, Downtown exactly Los where Angeles. he lives, yeah. Um, yeah, downtown Los Angeles in a little bit in 29 Palms. Maybe somewhere. Um, to make a movie. And uh, yeah, but we will be keeping the Patreon up and running during this time because if there's one thing that I like to do when I'm shooting, it's watch things so that I can like take brain breaks. So I usually end up um, kind of watching a bunch of wacky stuff on streaming while I'm shooting. So yeah, I'm okay. excited for yeah, it. Yeah, so Colors of the Dark will still be on. We'll obviously talk about it on the main show, but it will be on through April normally mm-hmm. and as will Patreon. And then for um, May and June, will, that will be paused. The patrons will continue, but maybe they will. there might be somewhere one of us might have to go solo or one of us might need to, you know, they might get a little wackier, but we're going to keep it keep it rolling. It's um, going to get wacky. Because we have I no know. idea what how the next couple months are going to go. I'm going to broadcast from set and be like, we can't talk about what we're shooting here, guys. But yeah. um how you doing? Yeah. All I, doing? all we can say about that is that giant snakes and giant fish and giant, um, giant are not anything. in it. Oh, they're not. Uh, are not in it. Giant dollhouses. I I wish that sounds fun. Giant actually. babies. No, 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 no giant babies. I don't um, know if this is going to yeah. be a good movie. I'm going to be honest. You eradicate all that. What else you got? Give me something. Well, I can only assume that you built the giant dollhouse for the giant snakes. So that's yeah. kind of an amazing yeah. film right yeah. there. I so, did rewatch Deep Rising a couple nights ago. Which oh, God. I will no, the always... show's up. See, I don't that's, even That's talk your about body it parts. Anymore. That's your body parts. It is. I don't even talk about it anymore because everybody has heard me talk about Deep Rising to death. But um, yeah, I rewatched it because I remembered a couple of scenes that I wanted to make reference to, um, specifically the way that they were shot. And it's just a joy as always. So yeah, so I'm going to go out with that. I'm glad you have your treat, your treat, Williams, to, to keep you. Always. Uh, <laughs> to, what's the line he says to that shark in that crappy shark movie, Night of the Sharks? Is it like, fuck, fuck you, you, shark? You. <laughs> fuck, yes, you shark. fuck you, shark. <laughs> fuck you, shark. I love that. Uh, All right, cool. Well, thank you guys for uh, staying with us. Lots of stuff still to come. And we'll have a new Colors of Dark on next Friday. Thank you, guys. Have a good night. The Colors of the Dark podcast is a Fangoria production. Producers and co-hosts are Rebecca McKendry and Elric Kane. Executive producers are Tara Ainsley and Abby Gould. Associate producer is Jessica Soth of Amir. Sonic branding by Michael Rodriguez. And, of course, our amazing sound engineer, Ernie Hurtado. 